My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So bizarre. It's just a bizarre set of circumstances. And personally, I love it, you know, to know that there's there's more to the property world than scrolling in, you know, mindlessly on realestate.com.au and scrolling on domain and looking at all these fancy pictures and how these properties have been uh, staged, going to these inspections on Saturdays, doing the, basically what 99% of the population does when they go and buy and find deals, find properties. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode of Invest Like a Pro, we're chatting with founder and director of Housefinder, Simon Liu. Back in Queensland for a deal he couldn't pass up, he shares how to turn $150,000 into $300,000 in no time flat and the value of a good tenant. Plus, he delves into the Queensland land tax tobacco that gobsmack investors across the country. Lou has been on a Perth property frenzy lately, but he's found that some habits just can't be broken. He recently received a deal back in Queensland for his client that was almost too good to be true. Located along the Brisbane River in the suburb of Morningside, sat a deal neither of them could believe. So this guy is a very long-time client of mine, a long-term client, not long-time client, a serious investor. Uh, he's bought and sold and owns multiple properties. Uh, he heavily invests in other other um, other things as well, such as shares and and, uh, and 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 businesses and things like that. Uh, so, <clears throat> for this particular person, it's purely uh, uh, a money-making exercise, right? Um, and I, I, I think that sounds obvious, but to be honest, most people don't buy property as purely a money-making exercise. You know, I think that most people buy property for the feel-good factor, which is fair. You know, it feels good to own property. It feels good to to feel like you're making money, but for some individuals, they don't, they wouldn't care if they had bought a bottle of water that could make them a lot of money versus buy. <laughs> if they could, they would do it, right? It's just purely making money. Um, so that's the, this particular client. Uh, it was it was kind of opportunistic in the sense that I I, I see a lot of these types of properties just in what, in what we do, right? And some properties 
and I've got a, a, a certain a certain uh, uh, amount of clients that fit a certain profile, where if the deal is good enough or it ticks some very specific boxes, I know that I can send it to them and they will be keen. On the other hand, I know that there's also a bunch of clients that I have with a profile where if I sent them the same deal, they would not be keen at all, right? So different people, different expectations um, uh, and different uh, risk profiles. Yeah, different appetites for different types of properties, yeah. And also different levels of where they are in the investment journey, right? So this particular house, uh, like I'm known for buying properties on the outskirts of cities in what I consider up and coming areas. I've talked about this in previous episodes and the benefits of doing that. This particular house is about five kilometers from Brisbane CBD, right? In a suburb called Morningside. Very close to the CBD. I mean, like most people, yeah. It's quite a premium area. If you know Brisbane, you know Morningside. It's next to Balmoral and uh, the two suburbs away from Balimba, which is like one of the most prestigious areas in all of Brisbane. I've got projects in Balimba, which is why I know about it. I mean, those properties are very much, very high upper end, you know, two plus million dollar properties. And that's by the water as well too. Highly sought after. Um, it's, it, was, it, was, it, was, it came to me as an off-market deal. Now, when I looked at it initially, I didn't think much of it. <clears throat> it was about, it's probably about a 50, 60 year old home, uh, uh, fibro. Uh, when I looked at some of the older pictures, it didn't look any, like anything spectacular. But then I started digging a little bit deeper as the agent uh, uh, who presented this property to me started talking about the seller situation and what's going on with the property. And most importantly, how much I can buy, buy it for. So I learned that it was a, uh, a, a tradesperson living in it at the moment as an owner-occupier. Um, he uh, has owned it uh, for about seven years. And during that time, he's just kind of half-heartedly been renovating the property progressively to this point. And the renovations that he's done to date are amazing i saw the photos i mean it's very modern very very yeah you wouldn't have expected it from the front i saw the frontal pictures and i went oh this looks pretty ordinary to be honest then you go and look inside the photos like wow this is very nice yeah so new bathroom new kitchen living areas bedrooms all the all that kind of stuff yeah um now the particular seller uh is going overseas very urgently Right? He's moving to Canada, apparently. Uh, and he wanted to sell the house quickly so that he can do so with the funds. I think he needed to transfer the money to overseas where he can, I don't know, buy stuff, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> overseas. But <clears throat> so anyway, I was told about this property. Now, the, the, I guess the, um, uh, the sticking point about this particular house was that the renos were about 80% complete, right? So there were parts of the house where it needed <coughs> a little bit of extra work. So the house is what we call a, 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 not a high set house, but a mid set. A mid set house is kind of like you've got the living, the main living part upstairs, and then the lowest, the lower end is definitely not high enough for. 
to be legal height to be lived in, but typically large high enough to be like a laundry and storage and things like that. In this particular plot property, the block sloped uh, gently backwards. So the, the further back of the house that you go, the more room there is underneath. Now, what this seller has done is he's completely renovated the top bit. The living area is fine. Three beds, the bathroom, the kitchen, living area, all that kind of stuff. It's all good, great. But the bottom bit, he's half finished. So his plan was to build out the bottom bit as like an extra rumpus room or, you know, maybe like an extra living uh, a room just to not legally to be lived in, but as an extra space. You see this very, very common in, in, in Brisbane properties, in Queensland properties, actually. So from my perspective and for the, for the client's perspective, it kind of doesn't really matter because you advertise it as a three-bedroom house anyway, as a rental. And to you can't live underneath anyway, legally. So underneath would just be storage. Whether it's half renovated or not, it is what it is, right? So that I guess I would consider that the downside. The upside was definitely the price. Now, the property hasn't settled yet. I don't know when this episode airs, but I, I won't reveal the exact price, but it was below $700,000. Below $700,000 for a three-bedroom property house in Morningside is so cheap. <laughs> like, you know, what, what, what's the average? Let's say what's an average price point in, in Morningside? Well, if you look at morning size, like it varies. It depends on block sizes. It depends on... I mean, this block size was around about close to 600 square meters anyway. So it's not like it's one of those tiny 300, 200 square meter blocks. Um, if you you know, if you know, look at some of the very nicely renovated houses in, in Morningside at the moment, they're around one and a half mil. You know, so some of the ones that are a little bit... In fact, probably... I mean, we're, we're, we're recording this in, in October... The entire year uh, in Morningside to date, there hasn't been a, an actual house that sold for less than, I, I think it was 750000 And this includes like really old, uh, you know, properties that are completely unrenovated uh, on main roads and all that kind of stuff. The reason why this, the price was at this point under 700000 was because of situation, not because of the market demand. It's actually because of the situation this particular vendor was in that he needed his money quickly. He needed his money quickly. He knew the house was unfinished. Um, and uh, rightly or wrongly, he probably didn't really realize what it was worth, to be completely honest, right? So... Uh, you know, it was a situation where, uh, you know, we were presented with this deal and we knew what we would get it for. So it was a no-brainer. Now, from a numbers perspective, it's a no-brainer because there's another another element to this, which I'll, I'll talk about soon, which was like, you know, ridiculous. But for, for most buyers, for most investors, even my own clients, if I were to send this property to them a lot of them would look at it and say no even with the purchase price in mind like it, regardless of how cheap it was because you know it's not a very presentable house you know if you look at the front of it it's 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 just it's a you can tell it's a little bit like an older property and it, as much as we like to talk about uh, investing in property is about a business about making money it's about cash flow it's about below market value all that kind of stuff 
you know, most people still can't, especially when you're starting out, you still have in the back of your mind, you need a house that's presentable, low maintenance, you know, and then you start talking to yourself, like, as in, if you have like an older house, you're going to get really crappy tenants and, you know, it's going to be headaches and so on, uh, which I can tell you right now is completely untrue. Yeah, it's untrue. I mean, especially when you've got a renovated inside house, it's going to attract a very good tenant. Yeah. Even some of the houses that I own that are super old and they do need work. I've got some of the best tenants in there. You know, I mean, they're, they're rented at a certain price point, obviously not top dollar, but the, the type of tenants that live in my property, these types of properties are usually ones that are... Pays rent on time. Pays rent on time. They're grateful for having a roof over their heads. They know they're compromising like the absolute cream of the, like the physical condition of a property for paying a much lower market than, than you know, uh, the market rent. Uh, and... And yeah, like, and from an ownership perspective, a landlord's perspective, you know, the amount of maintenance, uh, like requests to upgrade this or fix that and fix this is, is actually a lot lower than you think, because I mean, the houses have been standing around for 20, 30 years, you know, anything that's gone wrong with them to date, that's major has probably happened already. Uh, and the stuff that comes up like leaking taps and things like that, you're going to get that with every house. That's the usual maintenance things, yes. What I actually find now that we're on this topic is that the newer properties, the fancier ones, you, you get some silly requests from time to time. Oh, uh, you know, this tile is tight, slightly chipped, you know, or, you know, oh, did we want to install security shutters? Or, you know, like things like, like when I say security shutters, I mean fly screens, like the, the ones that, the roller ones that come down. Um, or they want, to, they want like an extra air conditioning air conditioner in like bedroom three like the because the expectation is higher you know living in a nicer house the everything is nicer around you and they're paying high rent so the tenant has an expectation that it you know that level of uh uh quality needs to be maintained and also they're paying premium dollar for it so they're entitled to a more yeah to ask for more basically that's pretty normal I mean, not just in property but in general <laughs> so coming back to this house the, the main and biggest reason why this particular client just jumped at it within two seconds was the valuation for people that know about valuations and people that don't know about valuations there's generally two types there's a desktop valuation uh, from a bank which is computer generated and there's a curbside valuation, which is basically someone going out with a pad and a pen and valuing it uh, in person. And, and when you say curbside, is that you're talking about full valuation where they go into the house as well? To- yeah, like a full valuation. So they go into the house and, and write a full report. Yep. Now, with some banks, the desktop valuation within a certain scenario can be used to pull out equity immediately, right? Almost immediately, not like immediately as in the next day, but very close to when you buy a property and when you settle a property. And this, this only applies to a, a certain number of banks. I'm not going to expand on that too much because I'm not a mortgage broker. I'm not an expert. Yep. And we don't give financial advice to. Can't give financial advice. So if you want to find out more, speak to a, speak to a good broker. Don't speak to any broker, but you need to speak to a good broker that's very investment savvy. But anyway. 
Coming up after the break, he reveals the staggering number the property came in at. Bizarrely, the desktop valuation for this particular property came back at a figure. How and why his client's risk appetite factors in. I guess in many ways you can you can say it like he controls the level of risk that he wants to expose himself to. He lets us in on one of his trade secrets. We've done a you know at least a thousand plus properties at this point in time over the years. So I, I like to say we've got a bit of a knack for for how we negotiate. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Have you been looking for months and getting frustrated that each property you've seen since be a lemon? Or are you after distress, off-market, high cash flow properties in high growth areas, capital city locations? If you answered yes to either of these questions, you are not alone. For being a loyal listener of the podcast, Simon Liu is offering a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote Property Investory. Lou and his client utilized their combined investment savvy to acquire the Morningside property under market value, yet still found a surprise waiting for them at the valuation. Bizarrely, the desktop valuation for this particular property came back at a figure, which is $1.045 million. That's substantial. So think about the scenario for a second. We paid less than $700,000 for this property, where a desktop valuation from the bank came back at over a million dollars, over $300,000 more, over 30, you know, is it over 30%? Yeah, sorry, my math is actually not that great. More than 30% of what we paid. And this was even before the property settled. You know, so obviously this particular client, very uh, experienced, very investment savvy, so he knew what to do with it. Right, he knew which bank to go with. He knew how to pull this equity out, pretty much immediately. And the uh, the the goal was to buy the house, pull out hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity, <laughs> and use that equity. Uh, I don't know what he's going to do with it. I won't get into that, but he's going to reinvest it. You know, whether it's in property or shares or whatever. So you know, if you if you look at it purely from a black and white perspective. We bought this house genuinely below market value, like even in real dollar terms, not just this desktop valuation. Um, but he's actually, because he's only he only put 20% down, he's actually getting more money from the property than what he, he's putting in to buy it. It's almost like 100% ROI. It's basically, I'm going to give you, uh, you know, $120,000, $150,000, whatever it is to buy the property. Or just to buy anything, not even to buy anything. I'm going to give you 150 grand, and you're going to give me back 300. <laughs> so it's like I think from his perspective, it's kind of like, okay, cool. I get to own this house, which is genuinely below market value, and now I've got all these extra funds that uh, you know I pay interest on bank interest, which is not that high. If you if you know anything about getting any loans, you know that a bank is basically the the, the least that you can pay. <laughs> so 
and he's going to use this money to, you know, maybe reinvest into another area or another property or another shares that's going to bring him even more return. So it's it's kind of just like a, a tool just to get some free cash, really. I can't. I, I'm not. I, I don't want all the listeners to go out and go start, you know, just calling brokers and trying to do this because, it, yeah, I mean, it, it does take a certain level of risk appetite, a certain level of, um, uh, I, I guess, having like a re- experience, a really solid team of people around you to be able to do this effectively. Um, and to be completely honest, there is a, 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 huge, a bit of an element of risk because even even we though we bought it for uh, below $700,000, we know that it's not truly worth 1.045 million. Not right now. Not right now. It's probably worth around about 800-ish to 850-ish thousand, you know, in terms of real dollars. So we still got a great deal. But if your purpose is to use that uh, this desktop valuation to try and get equity out, and you actually successfully do so, you have to be very careful with how you use that money because if you use it on non-investment reasons or maybe very risky investments you're you're putting yourself in a massively risky position because you now owe more money you're over leveraged on this property so bizarre it's it's just a bizarre set of circumstances and personally i love it you know to know that there's there's more to the property world than scrolling and you know mindlessly on realestate.com.au and scrolling on domain and looking at all these fancy pictures and how these properties have been uh staged going to these inspections on saturdays doing the basically what 99 percent of the population does when they go and buy and find deals find properties when there's these really weird situations odd situations if you know you know how to spot them if you know how to analyze them if you know how the the finance system works like it's just, it's so much more out there and, and this is the key thing is knowledge you know we've kind of pretty much mentioned it too it's not something that's just for the you know beginner to start off with it's it's actually more for someone who's sophisticated who has experience in this realm uh, has been doing it before and plus also is looking to use these funds to reinvest and you know he's obviously going to try and make money on top of the money that he's actually going to draw out. So it's not for everyone. And and obviously, as Simon has said, you know you've said to me that these type of deals is not for everyone because everyone has different risk appetites. They're not for everyone. But watch me get bombarded with calls <laughs> about going, hey Simon, I want I want three thousand dollars, I want three hundred thousand dollars worth of equity. <laughs> I don't care if it's real or fake. Yeah, I want my cake and eat it too, please. Thanks very much. And I think the kicker is this: like, assuming he doesn't use this equity. You know, let's just say he bought it without even use, pulling out the equity, right? He could sell it literally on the day of settlement uh, on market, proper pictures, proper marketing campaign, maybe even spend the money to finish the reno and still make a, a, a huge chunk of cash, you know? So, um, like, yeah, I mean, I guess in many ways you can you can say it like he controls the level of risk that he wants to expose himself to, right? So that's um, that's important. And I think like the, this property will rent for about 600 bucks a week as is, which isn't like, you know, mind-blowing cash flow, but for Morningside and close to the city, 
yeah, if you do your research, you'll see that it's pretty, it's not decent. It's not bad yield either. So, I mean, ultimately, this seems like an interesting play is that if he holds this property on for long enough, especially in the up-and-coming suburbs around there, as I mentioned, Belimba, I know they are well because I've got development sites I've worked with. They're averaging about 2 to $2.5 million properties there. And, you know, Morningside being so close to it, it is sort of the rollover kind of property. And if you hold it on for like 5, 10 years or so, there's a good chance that those properties will probably rise to those levels. And we've seen it across, you know, multiple different areas. Not saying that this is guaranteed to happen, but it happens, you know, quite frequently across, you know, metro cities as well. And I think that's the thing that, you know, Simon seems to pick really, really good areas and very much undervalue, which I, I really, really admire because these are amazing case studies to be able to share with listeners. Yeah, and I think a lot of people associate, you know, distressed sellers, below market value properties to really bad locations. And I think this is an example of that's just simply not true. You know, you've got people in distressed situations in the most prestigious suburbs anywhere in Australia, right? People are in, in positions where they have to sell. People are going bankrupt. People are losing their jobs. People are getting divorces. People are, um, you know, uh, maybe struggling somewhere else and they have to let go of some assets to pay off debts or deceased estates, whatever it is. Like, it, it's not about... You know, we never take advantage of a, a person's situation. We never say, oh, they're losing their job. Let's go in with a $100,000 offer or whatever. You've got to look at it from the point that you're helping them because at least it helps their situation. Maybe helping is not the right word because they're, they're obviously needing to sell urgently. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, cool. You're in this situation. I'm ready to go. I'm going to do it with as little fuss and as within whatever time frame you need to your circumstances, let's let's make the deal happen at this price. And that's how a lot of these deals come about. Strong negotiations from your part too, don't forget. <laughs> We've done, a, you know, at least a thousand plus properties at this point in time over the years. So I, I like to say we've got a bit of a knack for, for how we negotiate. We actually did get a, a, a further price reduction on this house off the building and pest uh, inspection, which we, we uh, are known known for now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was just it, it, it's just a it's just a good good deal. It's a good, and I think timing was very very good as well because um, as I'm sure all the listeners have have heard, uh, you know, there's been a, a huge faff with the whole Queensland land tax uh, debacle, the debate, and uh, at the time of recording now recently it was uh, revoked. So they decided not to proceed with this land tax uh, that they were going to tax uh, uh, investors that own property from other states and all that kind of stuff. And this happened, this revoking happened, you know, right in the midst of us putting this deal together. So I think at that point in time, and I was telling people, client, my own clients this, don't panic don't make any rash decisions because there was a lot of panic in the uh, for people that owned property in Queensland to be like no this is it this is this is what's going to cause mayhem and the market to go spiral down and all that kind of stuff and a lot of people sold as a result urgently um, and I was telling them don't don't do that because you can just see it was never going to be viable 
we're digressing a bit into this land testing, but it was never going to be viable. There was no way it could be, it could be, uh, uh, you know, consistently implemented. Yeah. So anyway, lo and behold, it, it, it turned around and, you know, suddenly there was a, 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 a boosted interest in the Brisbane market again or the Queensland market. So anyway, that's, um, that's kind of why we, I think that, <coughs> that helped us during the, during the sort of um, transition or the knowledge that this land tax wasn't going to go through. I think that's made, that could be part of the reason why the seller uh, ended up uh, deciding to sell pretty quickly, pretty urgently. Yeah, there was an urgency behind it and, and the situation as well. But what's what's also interesting is that the impact of rates, I know we're digressing here, but it's actually just wanted to sort of point this out is that it's also had, um, I guess, people in the market concerned and especially if rates are going up, even though it's not a large portion because, I mean, I, I've lived through rates where it's been 8, 9, 10% and, you know, it's gone up to about six, five, five to 6% at the moment depending on which bank or which lender you're with at the moment. Um, but the thing is, is, it's put a lot of fear into the market and therefore prices are apparently dropping, you know, quite substantially. So I think, you know, it's still probably a little bit more early stages to see what's going to happen. But I can sort of see that the, the Reserve Bank is just trying to slow things down to reduce the, the transactions that are happening. But from your point of view, I guess, Simon, what are you seeing on the ground? It's two tiers minimum, right? The, the tier where... The what I call keep up with the Jonas's tier is really taking a hit. When I say keep up with the Jonas's tier, you've got a lot of average income earners times two. So as in like you've got a household of like your mum and dad, maybe both earning a hundred thousand dollars a year in their in their jobs. Uh, before this whole interest rate rise and inflation thing was happening, these families had no problems leveraging as much as they can to buy a property that they deemed to be acceptable from a, like a suburb quality uh, uh, kind of a perspective, right? Basically they wanted the best and they didn't have any issues with borrowing as much as they could to do it. Those buyers now are not only uh, getting spooked, by the fact that interest rates are rising and they're actually realizing that they can't afford to borrow that much, but their borrowing capacity has been impacted as well. So they actually can't. So that kind of middle tier, I would say around the one and a half plus two million ish, um, uh, 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 to three million uh, market in, in major capital cities is experiencing a bit of a a bit of a shockwave, a bit of a slowdown, uh, and in some areas even going backwards quite noticeably. Right. However, during times like this, and this is literally history repeating itself, housing at the end of the day is a necessity. Right. For people like myself and yourself and even our listeners, people are consider housing are looking at it from an investment perspective. Right? But for most people, they're looking for houses to live in, especially in major capital cities. So what's happening is people are just looking at cheaper options. They're looking at more affordable options. They're looking at options where they don't have to borrow as much. 
but without making too much of a compromise in terms of lifestyle and you know the, the suburb quality uh being close to xyz all that kind of stuff and the markets that i operate heavily in affordable housing markets they're actually i, I don't want to say demand is increasing but it's at the very least extremely consistent you know any houses that gets listed are selling within days with a lot of demand a lot of interest mostly from owner occupiers for me that's a really good sign as an investor i love it when most of the people around the properties that i'm buying or the properties that i own as investments are bought by emotional first home buyers owner occupiers and young families because that tells me growth is coming right so not only just <coughs> the monetary growth as in like the prices of houses but also the quality of the suburb yeah that improves when you get these influx of young families and you sit start to see the cafes you start to see you know the the houses getting cleaned up where they were you know maybe older and you know cars on lawns and things like that because people want to take care of their home and i guess ultimately when they take care of their home it, it makes the whole suburb look better i mean like you can definitely see a huge trend that's changed in the past i remember redfin was an example a lot of those homes there were very run down and due to housing commission and so forth. But as soon as a lot of private owner occupier bought it, they did quite substantial renovations through them. And now they're very popular and very in high demand. Same thing with Inner West, all of the Inner West. I mean, I guess people call it character now. Before they called it graffiti. Now they call it character. <laughs> right? <laughs> murals, murals now. <laughs> so, so it's yeah, it's interesting how an area can change um, uh, over time due to gentrification. Uh, so, so I'm noticing these sort of more affordable housing areas maintaining demand, and all, also from a rental perspective as well. You know, we've all heard about the rental crisis. I personally think that it, yeah, it sucks if you're a renter. It's going up, but I also feel like it's it's something that everyone kind of should have seen seen coming. You know, if we use Sydney as an example, the property prices have increased exponentially, whereas rents have stayed relatively uh, flat over that same period. So it's only going to be a matter of time before it starts catching up. You know, not like for like, not one to one, but some. Um, but you know the the increase is to be expected. That's across the board with anything. I mean, with inflation, with the cost of living, everything's all increased. Unfortunately, wages haven't increased, which needs to you know happen. That could be coming soon. I have no crystal ball. Um, but you know, yeah. I mean, it's I guess time will tell. Um, but yeah, I mean, these areas that these affordable housing areas, the rents are increasing huge. We bought this house. At, I was, I was I was thinking maybe we should talk about this on another episode. But this house we bought in WA uh, in a suburb called Erski, which is um, uh, south of uh, Perth. Um, we paid 300 and It's a four-bed, two-bar, two-garage, about 15-year-old brick house, single-story, very standard, very, very, very standard house. We paid 395000 uh, We anticipated the rent to be about four fifty. A week that would have been amazing right three days after buying it after it settled it rented for 520 a week right 
So, and that's just purely because of, you know, the amount of people that's moving to Brisbane at the moment, uh, not Brisbane, to Perth. These young families are choosing, I mean, 395000 That is very affordable. That is very, very affordable. It's the same as what happened when in Sydney prices went up so much that people start moving up the coast, moving up to Brisbane, and, and hence that all started to push those prices up as well. About 7% yield off the bat, you know. So I think I think if you're an investor and a lot of people are umming and ahhing at the moment, should I buy now, should I wait? What's gotten me to a point, especially in my early days when I was buying my properties uh, to get my initial chunk of passive income that got me to quit my job, I was paying about 67% interest rates. So anyone would be thinking that would be a terrible time to be buying. But only because I was consistently moving forward at that point did I expose myself to the impending boom that happened uh, to the point where you know, it enabled me to make a lot of equity and all that kind of stuff. So I, I would say it is always a good time to buy irrespective of what's happening in the world. But you just need to be selective about what and where you buy. And most importantly, especially in this day and age, in these during these times, your number one priority is to get bargains, is to get a good deal because they are definitely, definitely out there. Okay, now is not the time to get emotional and fall in love with a house and overpay because that is extremely risky. Uh, focus on the numbers, focus on the areas that's affordable, that people need to live in, focus on areas that are next to gentrify, focus on the cash flow. Cash flow is so important. And I think over, over time you'll do well. Thank you to buyer's agent Simon Liu, our guest on this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder. Also, for being a loyal listener of the podcast, I've asked Simon to offer a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help you put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote, Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com tapiphone tap iPhone.